0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. We've got a rotating lineup of reviews, top fives, flight selections, and of course, beer. I guess for me, not for you out there, listeners. Sorry about that. But I'm Scott Lentz here with my intoxicating co host, Christian Ubius. Christian, it's been a
1: month of no recording for us. Mm-hmm. How are you? I wonder if we'll be able to like listen back and see that we were comprehensible at the beginning of an episode and not at the end. What do you mean by that? Well, we're gonna. We're, <laughs> oh, these beers are. <laughs> because we're, we're moving really from actually <laughs> drinking That Yes. sounds
0: Yes, uh, as as astute listeners of the show will know, we did not always drink coffee when we were cinema drip. But now we're gonna try to regularly drink beer while we're cinema on tap. As of we course, actually
1: drank whiskey one time. When we, we did. We, yeah, that was a good time. Uh, of course, with our new. No, brand no, it year. wasn't for you because that was when we ranked Marvel movies.
0: Oh yeah, that made me. A little bit upset. But (laughs) we are here with our new branding, Cinema on Tap, actually drinking a quite tasty, hazy double IPA that you picked up for us, Christian. And we're not just here with the two of us. We actually have a brand new friend of the show to introduce here. It's none other than Elias Hoxie. Elias. Hello. hello. Welcome to Cinema On Tap. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Christian, you are, you're the one who knows Elias here, mm-hmm. and you brought him into the fold, not just to guest on the show, but he's also helped us in another way, which I'll let you talk about.
1: So, um, I, I, I can't remember when I started doing this, but I know that I started following you on Instagram, mm-hmm. and you had a lot, of, a, a lot of designs and drawings there that were some of the coolest, sickest things I had ever seen. And I approached nice. you one day, and I said, hey, can you do the design for our new podcast logo because uh we, we're rebranding the whole thing and you not only did it you sent multiple different variations of everything um you sent us an initial one that scott was unhappy with okay, okay.
0: <laughs> let me be clear <laughs> okay if you say so yes i wasn't unhappy but my head was a little bit taller and skinnier than it is <laughs> in real life so i just i wanted my head shape a little more like christian's <laughs>
1: but totally no, fair no but i i i wanted to thank you so much the design looks amazing all of you when you see this episode up it's on the same feed i mean we had our other episodes up on and if you're listening to this you found it and you see that that is both scott and i and that is exactly what we look like absolutely no alterations have been made to us but <laughs>
0: yeah well, christian and i actually have both been cartoon figures this entire time yes We're real life drawing drawn people would it
1: be would life be better in 2d that's far too existential <laughs> for this movie review podcast. But um, you studied it. Yes. Your logo, you mean. No, I meant animation. <laughs> but uh, uh, I mean, I mean yes, you did. <laughs> yes,
2: yes, I did study animation in college,
1: yeah. And, 2D, well, mostly. So, why? <laughs> well,
2: my whole life, uh, like uh, I've just loved drawing, and I've loved movies, so when I got to college, I decided to blend those two and the answer was animation
1: but uh, i i did ask you this animation is not necessarily what you're trying to get into is it yeah
2: yeah i i got into animation in college because that that was a degree i could draw with and study movies with at the same time but really i'd like to have some sort of creative director position in the industry so i focused on storyboarding and visual development drawing for my portfolio because that was very directorial you know you could figure out what movies would look like structurally like the skeleton of a movie from that point of view doing storyboards
1: and stuff also a skill that that, that's honestly invaluable to 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 have
0: yeah for real if you can visualize how a movie is going to look just reading the script and Mm -hmm. drawing on your own your own abilities to draw of course but also to visually shape the look of the film in your mind yeah very impressive when when done well so yeah cool to hear that that's yeah, what you're a,
2: definitely it's a challenge and i have a lot of respect for the masters of that that craft that's what i strive for because you focus on so many different things when you storyboard you focus on editing and framing and staging and lighting sometimes and also acting you do have to do a little bit of acting based off of how you draw certain characters and how they move and how their body language is presented like specific frames that you want actors or characters to present themselves in so it's like a puzzle. It's like a, a very complex puzzle, like a Rubik's cube in your mind. It's difficult, but so much fun.
1: Uh, now I will. Um, I will also say we also have brand new theme music, which we have not listened to because it's being added on afterwards. <laughs> so I will. I trust you. <laughs> no, I, I I I will quickly shout out um, Hayden Hubers. So he goes by the artist name Hayde. Uh, you might have actually heard of him, or at least heard of a song by him, because um, there's a song that I know has made its rounds on social media called "Daylight" by David Kushner. So he wrote that. <laughs> Way to go! We got, we got the producer of a notable isn't that song
0: sort of popular on TikTok? Am I crazy?
1: Uh, Hayden has. Now been able to write music for some people that that you have definitely heard of that I'm just not going to say on this show because <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to or That's if I'm great. allowed to say. Um,
0: we're slowly building the stable of creative talents that we've had on this show. Writers, wow. we've got cinematographers, we've got multiple musicians. Cinema on tap, the movie is coming, folks. It'll All be right. in like ten years, but we're gonna make it happen.
1: <laughs> no, so uh, do want to shout that out and uh, also. Let's introduce, uh, well, actually we have a new format. So let me quickly introduce the new format and then you talk about what we'll be talking about. Sounds good. Or maybe you should go the other way around because I chose what we're gonna be talking about today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we, we stuck with the idea of one of us planning each month out for the show. So Christian is going to be hosting the month of August. So I'll chat a little bit about the new format here. Of course, when it comes to beer, We are drawing on the ways that breweries tend to operate. And there's different types of, uh, maybe not different, obviously different types of beers and drinks and all that that you can get. But there's also different sizes, different ways of ordering said beer. So here's how we're going to be structuring the show going forward. Each monthly blend is what it used to be called, monthly marathon, will now be our monthly rotation. Rotation of the month, interchangeable. What keg we've tapped. What keg we've tapped for the month here on Cinema on Tap. Yo, I finally tap and tapped. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Elias, Elias getting a first 10 look at the excellent sense of humor here on Cinema Tap. But we're also going to be kicking off each show with just a little taster, a little three ounces of something, just to see what we've got going on each week on the show, which will normally be some industry news or maybe a mini review of a notable movie that released and we just were not able to dedicate a whole episode to but we're going to be trying to mix in some other topics in addition to the normal reviews and top 5s and such that we do here on the show. So Christian, I'll leave it to you as the curator of this monthly rotation to give us our first taster for the month.
1: Um there are three things that we're going to be talking about uh because we wanted to do mini reviews on two movies that are are that came out earlier this year that have been either massively anticipated or just been massive at the box office for example indiana jones and the Dial of destiny is the one that i wanted us to talk about but also spider-man across the spider-verse mm-hmm. that being said um this these movies also operated in what i like to call the pre-barbenheimer
0: times <laughs> yes we there was a pre what, what do you call it a pbh and a, a pre-bh and a post bh how do absolutely. we absolutely <laughs> so because P-B-H, both yeah. P-B-H. <laughs> They're both P-B-H, which i caught in the
1: moment but since they're both they're both operating around the fact that Barbenheimer. Honestly, I feel like that's also what people want to talk about. Look, guys, we will talk about Barbenheimer because we will be reviewing Oppenheimer next week and Barbie the week after. However, Barbenheimer, um, this is I, I I want to hear Elias how you viewed the movies. Yes. I will not be re- revealing my thoughts on the movies, even though I think you I think I told you what I think about the movies. Scott is completely in the dark, and I don't want him to know what I think about them until we review the movies, and he has not seen the movies yet.
0: Yeah, I was out of the country when the movies released and on a trip with some family, so unable to catch the movies when they came out, and I will be seeing them soon, never fear. But the one thing I did ask Christian, because I knew he wouldn't <laughs> give me his even quick thoughts on the movies, is I asked them to, out of, out of ten, so five-star possibility for each movie, what is your combined star rating? So if he hated them both, it'd be 2 out of 10. If he loved them both, 10 out of 10. And he gave a very enigmatic 7. Mm. It's so, changed. I oh. think it's changed. Oh, yes. it's possibly even changed. But... For, for both combined? Yeah, for both so combined. so if one movie was a 3 star for him and one was a 4 star. Seven. Or one's a oh, 5 gotcha, and one's gotcha. a 2. Yeah, maybe one one's like a 0 and one's oh, a 10. I don't know. Interesting question. <laughs> Elias, <laughs> what were your thoughts on both barbie and oppenheimer because you mentioned you did not do a barbenheimer but you right. did see them both shortly you yeah know, i was
2: i was tempted to do a barbenheimer but i ended up seeing them both on separate days and i'm glad i did because they each deserve their own day oppenheimer was fantastic i saw that by myself just sitting in the theater in the corner and it was great i get to fully absorb into the movie I I thought all the performances were awesome and the pacing was really cool. Um, The story went into great depth of uh, the mood change in relation to the atomic bomb. Like how at first it was like fully supported and then later people were questioning it. And then it was like a horrible decision. And then kind of like, oh, it was was good, but maybe not the best. You know, I, I enjoyed all that stuff and I got to just see it just by myself. So that was great. And then... Barbie was also awesome. I saw that with my girlfriend and it was definitely a couple movie, I think. Because they don't just focus on the issues that women face in so- like modern society, but there's also they focus on like what men deal with too through it. And I thought that was really funny. It was kind of like they were roasting men at some points, which I'm not someone who's easily offended. I kind of enjoyed it. They were poking fun at like uh um uh, just like male stereotype type stuff, which I fall into a lot of those, I think. So it was it was fine. I enjoyed it. It was great. I loved it. It was so much fun. Elias, and the, the Ken song was great, by the way. I loved okay. the Ken song.
0: Good to know. Elias, <laughs> would you say that you have Kennergy as you sit here with us? Uh... I've been I've been
2: actually I've been told that I do have Kennergy. Okay. There from we Some go. of my coworkers, They said I have
0: a, I'm Kenergetic. They said <laughs> that's all I need to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we will be covering both of those movies in depth on the show, as Christian mentioned. So, thanks for sharing your thoughts, Elias. Of course. Christian, anything you wanted to add about them before we move on to our next taster?
1: I'm glad that I saw both of them on the same night, but I'm also glad that I've chosen to rewatch them individually on separate nights. Because, um, regardless of what I thought about the movie, I can't remember the last time that it was like that this movie day was as anticipated as it that it was like there are multiple movies and and to to till now, also many, many movies at the box office are are thriving. And if you can't get a ticket a ticket to Barbie and you if you can't get a ticket to Oppenheimer, you can still get a ticket to Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part One, you can still get a ticket to Um, oh, I think Elemental has been going strong for a while now.
0: There's not a lot of movies that are really family oriented or even, you know, not a lot of PG or lower movies out right now. So Mm -hmm. families and kids have just been going to see Elemental. I'm sure some people, some families have gone to see it multiple times in theaters. It's making way more money than people thought it would after its initially low box office. I
1: know know we've discussed this, just Sound of Freedom seems to still be thriving at the box office. Mm -hmm. And also, um, oh, what? the the the, I think it's Indiana. Jones, I think Indiana Jones is still making its rounds,
0: right? Indiana Jones is limping along.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not 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 being chosen as often as some of the other ones. But I mean, talk to me. The new horror movie has like they, they, people are actively going out to the theater in droves. Well,
2: yeah, that was like one of the best parts of seeing Oppenheimer and Barbie. I saw them on two separate days, and both theaters were packed to the brim. So, it was very refreshing, especially because the past couple of years have been ghost towns when you go out, right? For that whole thing that happened.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> That whole pandemic <laughs> thing <laughs> that happened. And I, I've been making, uh, I every single year, I mean, Scott and I make, like, top 20 lists of our favorite movies. Mm-hmm. And we'll be discussing in a couple of weeks with our friend Nick Viner the, our um, top five list for, for the year so far. And I'm looking at it, and I go... I feel like for the first time ever, it feels like every single movie that is in contention for this top five list with a couple of exceptions are studio movies. Mm-hmm. Like studios are marketing their movies, they're releasing them and and they have done a good job at making people excited to go see them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's we're in an interesting moment because we're seeing these runaway successes like Barbie and like Oppenheimer where Barbie is based on one of the most successful toys of all time, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was... Given a fantastic writer and director in Greta Gerwig and a true movie star playing Barbie in Margot Robbie, but they've also been just acing the marketing game. Where yeah. Barbie marketing is absolutely everywhere. I was in France on this out of uh, this trip that I was on with family, and walking around the subways in Paris, you not only had Barbie posters in French, but there's a makeup brand that's doing Barbie advertising. <laughs> I, not I, right, right now too. It's, it's I can just imagine marketing.
1: like. Il est simplement Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: pretty much. Yeah, but, you know, we've also seen some some misses. Like, movies like uh, DC, in terms of the superhero game, both Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and The Flash did not perform well. Critically... These are also
1: inexcusable. Yeah, they're not good. Or at the box office. Yeah.
0: Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny has performed pretty well at the box office, but let's, not let's, actually, let's, let's, because
1: let's, of its budget. Let's, let's, let's talk about that right now. Um, Indiana Jones... Um, I know you liked it. I, I one of the few, the proud, who liked Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yes, I, I thought it was incredibly boring. Like I was, I, I I thought it was boring, and I think it's boring because the MacGuffin I don't think is good, mm-hmm. and it, it's a three hundred and forty one million dollar movie, bro. This does not look like a three hundred and forty one million dollar movie. I will say.
0: Yeah, I agree there. Even yeah. though I liked the movie, ultimately, I think it's sunk by its excesses, and just. Uh, objectively, it had a fat budget for almost no reason. And therefore, it's been really successful at the box office compared to other movies. But when it compared to its own budget, it's going to be a bomb. And like you said, you don't really feel that impact on screen, unfortunately. There are moments where, in my opinion, I think the movie hums along and, and it feels like a great Indiana Jones movie. But then there are other moments where you're sitting there wondering why they put over $300 million into this movie because it just it doesn't feel it defense, costs that much.
1: Some of it might be COVID delays. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's part of
0: it. Whether you're paying for, obviously, the there's reshoots, new staff members yeah. who are helping, you know, uh, move that along because, of course, this movie was being shot in 2021 and 2022 and so there's, you know, different levels of pandemic caution and there were staff members on set helping with that but, yeah, like you said, I mean, if you're delaying for reshoots, Chris, or Harrison Ford was injured while making the movie and they had to pause production for a while so, Something's out of their control, for sure.
1: But um, but we've also been talking about the studio movies, and we're also... Uh, um, <laughs> Elias and I know this a little bit uh, while also we're interacting with it. There is kind of like a massive uh, screen actors guild and writers guild of America strike yeah. going <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah, for the first time since Ronald Reagan was president, was president. of
3: SAG, <laughs>
0: yeah, not, not not of the U.S. guys, not even of the USA. But when Reagan was president of SAG, it's been over sixty years since the double strike like this happened. Uh, it's it's a really wild time for Hollywood right now. We have these runaway successes in Barbie and Oppenheimer. I mean. Oppenheimer is a three-hour biopic about a physicist who, who helped design the atomic bomb. And, of course, Christopher Nolan wrote and directed it. But even so, this is a movie that's made over 400 million
1: box office at the time we're recording this episode. The cast had to walk out of the premiere because the strike started when, as Oppenheimer was premiering.
0: And, yeah, the cast had to physically leave the UK premiere because the strike was announced and they Whoa. didn't want to get in trouble with their union. So... Just a crazy time. Success at the box office, but also like The Flash and everything that happened there. <laughs> and Indiana Jones and the discussions around that movie. And now the strikes are
1: happening. Movies are getting delayed. I'm actually going to pocket the strike talk until next week. Sometimes. Because with our guest for next week, I want to ask him what his thoughts are. And our um, guest
0: next week is none other than Robert Iger himself. We're going to sit down with the <laughs> CEO of Disney and
1: get his thoughts on the ongoing strike. I. Here's the thing. I would immediately okay us having Mr. Robert Iger as a guest. We, we sell our souls.
2: <laughs> no, 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 no,
1: no. I, I don't know how to structure that conversation because you don't turn down the opportunity to interview a studio CEO. Yeah. But is it us grilling him for an hour? Is it us being composed journalists? Is it us? Like, what are we... Well... We'll pocket back till next week.
0: I'm no journalist. I'll leave it at that.
1: <laughs> um, Another
0: notable success, speaking of studio movies, speaking of franchise movies, and speaking of animation, mm-hmm. our, our guest's field of study at least yes. across the spider-verse another big success earlier this year that we didn't have a chance to talk about on the show Elias I want to ask you your thoughts yeah. I know that was a pretty pretty big sensation as well when it was coming out it felt Question. like everybody's going
1: to see it how do you animate that <laughs> <laughs> yes we're gonna very very carefully <laughs> yep, great answer. Yes. But
0: yeah, Elias, what were your thoughts on Across the Spider-Verse? I, I have I... no idea your feelings on the first movie oh, yeah, or yeah. Spider-Man in general or whatever, so just fire away I thought it you was got.
2: brilliant that in my biggest, the thing that impresses me the most about it is the amount of detail in every single frame, which is like the exaggeration that they do for certain expressions or just hidden little things that you would have to literally pause the movie for is what impressed me the most the story is one thing. The story is great. It's a a good story. The story didn't really blow my mind or anything and that's okay. It doesn't have to. It's a Spider-Man movie or you know Spider-Man story. It's okay. It's compelling enough but the thing that was very impressive was how much they pushed animation. They included 2D and 3D and they exaggerated everything to the point that it's like it doesn't look like anything that Pixar had been creating for the past 15 years or so, and Pixar, the style that Pixar was doing, is impressive, very impressive, and obviously they were dominating, but there's a certain point where making the fuzz on someone's sweater or the hair on their head look as realistic as possible, like that's not what people are going to the movies for. They want a, a really flashy movie, they want a story that's compelling, and they want animation that bends the rules and breaks the rules. And so. Across the Spider-Verse was carrying on what Into the Spider-Verse did. I think Into the Spider-Verse is way more important than Across the Spider-Verse will be because Into the Spider-Verse was the beginning of a wave, a brand new wave. And now we see like this new Mutant Mayhem movie coming out, which is definitely a re- result. Based off if, of,
1: if you, if you watch the trailers for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, it very much feels like the person saw it into the spider verse yeah and was like oh, yeah. let me do something
2: yeah and then even puss in boots puss the, the the last wish also is a reaction and um the what's the the bad guys that one too i mean anything that's like really exaggerating the way reality looks rather than trying to make it as realistic as possible is a reaction to uh, into the spider verse
1: i've i i met the director for mutant mayhem you did he, Look at you! He was wearing a um, he was wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sweater, and I went up to him and I go, "Yo, that's a sick sweater. Where'd you get it?" And he goes, "Oh, I I directed new. <laughs> what an
0: intro! <laughs> yeah, I have almost no connection to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for whatever reason. I never really got into them as a kid, mm-hmm. but I'm interested in this new movie based on animation alone. Mm-hmm. And I think you really pointed like what you pointed out Elias is that there there's new stuff happening in animated films right now and the spider-verse movies are on the vanguard of that Mm -hmm. and we're seeing the ways that into the spider-verse has already been influential and how across the spider-verse which evolved and from that movie and took things to a new level Mm -hmm. is probably going to launch another wave of innovation hopefully across the industry even though it's of course a it's a franchise film it's a superhero film it's it's a character we're very familiar with. It still is doing new and innovative things mm-hmm. with the movie-making form, which is so exciting. And I think a lot of people have rightly pointed out to kind of tie this back into what we were just talking about, that this movie has been very successful, critically beloved. I've seen, you know, serious and legit film critics, you know, people who don't write just for geek oriented websites sort of nerd culture websites but people who write about all movies Mm -hmm. saying that they would love to see something like this up for best picture at the oscars the you know the first animated film in a while to be nominated for that award since toy story 3 yeah since toy story 3 and i I would have no problems because it's Mm -hmm. it it feels like one of the most like consequential and hopefully influential movies of this year so far Mm
1: -hmm. um i'm actually i'm gonna pocket that as well um, Elias, next time, I, I, yeah. I, I, next time you come on, I'll, I'll probably be like, "What? What are the top five animated movies of the 21st century?" Might be an interesting. That'd be awesome to like, I feel like that's I tough, I, yeah, I feel like I should be disqualified from putting Wally in number one. Why would you be disqualified <laughs> from that? It, because a legit right now answer. Wally is number one, and I don't well, see here's that. A, here's the
2: thing: is among the Pixar films, I would also put Wally as number one. Bro, I, well, I bro, say, bro, God bless you. I always oh, say Wally is my favorite Pixar film, followed very closely, tied by Incredibles
1: and Monsters Inc. The, oh man, Incredibles is is is, is wonderful. It, I I haven't watched cool. it. Films right it. there, folks. I've met Catherine Keener, the the main villain of Incredibles two. So <laughs> <laughs> ah yes, Catherine Keener, the, the main villain woman, of Incredibles two, the wizard dragon monster. <laughs> No, the the, the Incredibles Discovery two. Slayer. Oh, Incredibles two. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, thinking yeah. Monsters Inc <laughs> two. Monsters <laughs> Inc two.
0: Monsters University. Monsters University. Yes.
1: Let's um. Okay, let's let's let's. We need we need to talk about what we're going to talk about today.
0: That's right, folks. So that that's our what our tasters will look like. Maybe not as meaty going forward. We just had a lot to talk about. Obviously, first episode back in a month. But Christian, what will be our rotation of the month here? Almost said that old B word that we're not using anymore our rotation of the month here for August.
1: The okay, keg that we're going to tap is on July 2023 movies. I've already revealed that we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer and Barbie, but the very, very first movie that we're going to be talking about is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Let's go. Okay. Ethan Hunt's back, baby. Um, yeah. Reading your review for the movie was was, was really funny. What? Um, <laughs> what does that because, mean? No, because you started by saying, guys, we are back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh specifically specifically guys gals and non-binary pals we are so back
1: yes so yeah. that is what you said <laughs> um all right y'all oh man we've already talked we talked about mission impossible fallout before
0: yes so previous episode of the show mission impossible fallout with a great friend of the show paul gonzalez our our good buddy one of two pauls we love here at cinema on tap We reviewed that movie after Paul had not seen any prior Mission Impossible movies. He only watched Fallout. Meanwhile, (laughs) I was a a pretty devoted fan of the franchise. And, Christian, you had caught up with most of them. I
1: saw all of them for that episode. Yes. I loved it. Okay. I asked you if you had... Because you you also enjoy the Mission Impossible franchise. I love them. Yeah, they're great. Do you have a list?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I've thought about it.
1: Okay, okay. Um, Let's do this. Remove dead reckoning part one from your list okay what would it be from bottom to top
2: from bottom to top i would probably say mission impossible three at the bottom Ooh, interesting Interesting. mission impossible two okay i'm working my way up yeah mission impossible one okay then rogue nation then ghost protocol then fallout so fallout is my favorite minus dead reckoning Okay. And then I like the Burj Khalifa one. So that's Ghost Protocol. <laughs> I like the Burj Khalifa, the Burj Khalifa <laughs> powering Ghost Protocol.
0: That's that's basically everybody's review of Ghost Protocol is is that, well, it's got the Burj Khalifa yeah. scene, so I mean, it's gotta be up there.
1: Alright, uh, Scott, what'd you say?
0: I have a very silly ranking for this franchise, because it basically goes, each entry is one spot higher, except for the beginning. So I have Mission Impossible 2 at the bottom, mm-hmm. Mission Impossible, the original, second last, which I like that movie. I don't really like Mission Impossible 2. I still like Mission Impossible, I just love the others more. Then we get into Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible Goes Protocol, Rogue Nation, and then... I'll, I'll leave, yeah. I'll leave Dead Reckoning out of my list of where it would go, but and then Fallout after mm-hmm. Rogue Nation, definitely my favorite of the franchise as well.
1: And I would also go Mission Impossible Two at the bottom. That being said, Mission Impossible Two, I don't think is a bad movie.
0: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. for a it's lot of people. Watchable. That's yeah, it's it's not terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It's maybe the worst Mission Impossible movie, but you could do far worse with action movies. Oh yeah, right. totally. Yeah,
1: totally. Here's here's where I start to lose people. I put Rogue Nation next. Oh yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Um, then I'm pretty sure I put Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible Three, Mission Impossible Fallout, and I have the original Mission Impossible as my number one.
0: Christian with, with the with the a very uh, very. Gen X take—it's <laughs> a
1: very film broy thing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of no, not normally film broy, but I love the original it's Mission Impossible. You're not.
0: No, I. I. It's a movie that I want to rewatch because I haven't seen it since I did my whole franchise rewatch before yeah. Fallout, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of the critics that I listen to, who are in you know in their thirties, forties, fifties, whatever, that is still their favorite, or it's one of their favorites. And for a lot of us younger folks, Fallout and the more recent movies. Fallout's exceptional to top, so. though. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, it's your
1: number two. Sorry, yeah, I mean. <laughs> so no one who says Fallout is better yeah. than than the original Mission Impossible. Do I fault? Yeah, let's go through some of the necessary things to talk about. Um, Elias, yes, we're really bad at talking about plot.
3: Well, uh, I I like
0: to think I'm decent. I don't always remember, but (laughs) we
1: sometimes are like 40 minutes into reviewing a movie and we're like, wait, we haven't said what happens in this movie.
0: Yeah, sometimes people listen to these shows, but they haven't seen the movie. In your eyes, you're being a bad host, bad (laughs) podcaster.
1: (laughs) So basically, Ethan Hunt is back at it again, and he's decided to tackle AI (laughs) once again. (laughs) This this fool's got another impossible mission. He's to defeat artificial intelligence who who um oh man so the movie like starts at a submarine and people are making tests and they have this ai called the entity that they're testing out and the entity makes like a ghost ship and that ghost ship ends up destroying the original ship and they have this key and all of these dead people (laughs) float to like the top of the ocean and then this key is separated into two parts and now it is Ethan's job to find these two keys because these two keys together supposedly unlock the source code for the entity, and that is the plot of this movie.
0: Basically, yes. Oh, that was very well done. There are some bad guys. Uh, there are. They're chasing after it, too. Yeah, Wouldn't you believe and, it? And, and apparently good guys, quote unquote. Oh, there's some good guys, too. Yeah. That's right. Because Ethan Hunt, he's got his team. Yes, exactly. Ethan now, Hunt doesn't need much in this world, but he does need his team.
1: Now, Ethan Hunt is played by Tom Cruise. Have you heard of- he is a man. Actually, I'm not sure about that anymore. Yeah, same. <laughs> <This thing. laughs> Elias, any feelings on the
0: potential superhumanity of Tom Cruise? He's definitely in superhuman level now.
2: <laughs> Have you seen him run in every single one of his movies? He always runs like a, that man, like a machine.
0: That man runs with his arms like stiff and just powering him to speeds yes. that a 60-year-old man should it not be able to reach. He's like got he excellent like Terminator. Form. Yeah. The best thing about this is that Tom Cruise running in movies has been a, has been a meme for decades. Mm-hmm. My, my mom and my uncle were the ones who introduced me to this before I probably had seen any Mission Impossible movies. They talked about it after we had watched some other Tom Cruise movie like 10 or 12 years ago. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he's just always running. There was one that I saw
2: on some streaming platform called The Firm. I think it was maybe yes. Yes. Well, Prime. I think I was looking on Amazon Prime, trying to find something to watch. And The Firm popped up. I was like, "Oh, interesting. Tom Cruise never seen this movie before. Started watching it. Eventually,
1: he does run." that's <laughs> right. Our boy's been running since the 90s. I watched a Risky Business for the first time recently. I don't think he runs in that one but Risky Business? Everyone knows the underwear scene dance from he that. He does movie? dance, yeah. yes. Very true. This Risky Business is interesting. That would be an interesting movie. Is that movie the to first read. literally me scene? <laughs> yes. Okay, joining Tom Cruise are Bing Rames and Simon Cook They're Simon they're back. Peg. They're back. Look, I'm not I'm not gonna say what my thoughts are on Bing Rames, but I read this tweet, which is like Bing Ra- Tom Cruise loves Bing Rames so much that he's like, bro, all you need to do is sit for the rest of the movies that you need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of commentary on how Bing <laughs> Rhames is just sitting down
0: in these movies, and and to be fair. All when you total up his screen time in Dead Reckoning Part One, it's probably more time spent sitting than than standing or moving in any way. Yes, so. Yeah stationary. Yes. And he, he's, rocking, he's rocking his uh, his Luther-stickle outfits where he always looks like he's about to go to the Bahamas and game. I love that little hat. <laughs> yeah, I love hat. the hat. Which is, is that... like, it's literally his like profile photo. That's what I'm wondering. On, like he... letterboxed and other
2: Cause, like Is, is that sources? his character's outfit or is that just literally what he wears? I he think just he... shows up to set. I think <laughs> he showed
1: up to set and they were like, can you take off the hat? And he said no. And they were like, I'm so sorry we asked.
0: Yeah, it's like Tom Cruise has the same persona on Screen and off-screen now. Where Ving Brames is the same way. Every he yeah. shows up, the makeup person puts on a little bit of like powder to make him pop. When they the work camera. around the hat, <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> costuming department knows. You know, like, don't go, don't go to Ving. He's good. He's already costumed <laughs> properly.
1: We okay. Joining them are okay. So Rebecca
0: hey, Ferguson's back.
1: Oh my god. Okay, I was actually gonna give it. There are there. Yes, Rebecca Ferguson is back,
0: and she is leading what I would uh, what I would call uh, just a parade
1: of gorgeous women (laughs) in this movie (laughs) that's what i was stopping myself (laughs) from saying so i hope these women are so hot in this movie allow us
0: allow us uh 20 something men to be 20 something men for a moment (laughs) because yes christian is absolutely right
1: and with them are Haley atwell vanessa kirby Mm -hmm. Pom Clementif. Fresh off of Mantis. Oh, yeah. Fresh off of Mantis.
0: No alien makeup this time, but we do get some clown makeup. We... Some Harley Quinn type stuff. <laughs> Which probably awoken some things in some people out there. Yeah. I'm not one of those people, but I don't judge if you are one of them. <laughs> Apologies no. to my dad, who was a listener of this podcast. Uh,
1: well, he's not yet because it's a new podcast. <laughs> uh, also, Henry Zerny, who plays like the. Uh, Kittridge. A- he's back. He's truly back, because he's in the first one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And they finally brought him back. Mission Impossible 7. (laughs) I love it. All right. (laughs) The the double IPA is starting to kick in. Quite the gap there, from
1: 1 to 7. I know. Where did we see this movie? Now that...
2: um, In the theater. That's a good question.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, Elias, you and I saw it... Like, together, but not together. We were in the yeah. same... We were in the same audience. We were in the same audience for this movie. But this is the question, was it a good crowd?
0: So, I saw it at a Wednesday night screening. Actually, I think I saw it a Tuesday night screening. Because, for whatever reason, they opened Dead Reckoning Part 1 on a Wednesday, as opposed to the normal open on Friday, do some Thursday night previews. They open on Wednesday with some Tuesday night previews. So, I saw it on Tuesday. Pretty decent crowd for me. The theater was not packed, which is understandable when you're seeing a movie on a Tuesday versus a Friday or a Saturday, but still a pretty decent crowd. We had a good time. There were some some not older people in my crowd, but it wasn't like all teenagers and 20-somethings. There there were some folks who had been with this franchise, folks who knew Tom Cruise from before Mission Impossible, so just a good mix of people in there. We had a good time watching it. I do kind of wish I had seen it with a sold-out crowd somewhere, but Mm -hmm. that was my
1: experience. Our screening was pretty sold out. Yeah, I mean, it was like don't, I don't say know if that name. To Say that
2: the theater. Cut that, part, <laughs> cut that part out. The theater that we happened to see it in. <laughs> I'm so used to calling it that. <laughs> the theater that we saw it in was great. The crowd was amazing, and I the people that I sat with, I sat with a, uh, some of my friends and a uh, friend that I brought and. It was great. Everybody was reacting out loud So to the stunts and to the fight scenes. It was great. When Tom Cruise jumps, rides the motorcycle off the cliff, and he's just free-floating, and the film just goes dead silent for oh. a couple seconds, there was literally a woman in the row in front that was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the entire section that I was in just started clapping in yeah. response yeah. to her, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. felt so cool because it was like this is a real stunt this is like pure
1: cinema like it felt amazing so i i think our crowd was great so i i um i i'm 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 without revealing anything i will say sometimes we are able to um, sometimes I'm able to see some of the movies that we discuss in in certain situations or go to Q&As or go to panels perks uh, of
0: perks of living in LA baby
1: yeah like um well, like, I went to... Like, when I told you that I went to that Bardo screening that um, Inu Ritu was at. So, this this, this was a, a... I saw it twice. I saw it once with the panel. And I, it's not that I disliked the movie there, but it, it wasn't the fullest room. And I was just kind of sad I was there alone. It's probably the, the, the... You know how, like, when there's an awesome movie and you wish you had someone next to you that you could enjoy it with, but I yeah. had no one... That's how I felt, and then I went back and I saw it two days later. And I invited some friends because there was another screening that that this place was having. And I was like, Oh, this 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 is a reactionary crowd, and I love it. <laughs> this is a crowd that's laughing. This is a crowd that's clapping. This this is what I want. And and no matter what my thoughts become on a movie, I'm like, Oh, this 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 becomes the ideal situation to watch it. Here's your opening. We're 38 minutes in, and this is our opening question. All right, cool. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, so um, let's let's just mention the last couple quick details oh, wait. we normally do.
1: $291 million budget, yeah. and it has made $448.4 million.
0: Yes, I, I'm assuming that budget also factors in some COVID problems and so well. part of the budget of part two. I, I'm not sure about that, but... Mm. Possibly, but yes, I unfortunately relatively minor success right now, which it's a shame that 450 million dollars at the global box office is minor. But again, with the inflated budget, that's what you'll run into. Yeah, incredible that
2: that's a smaller budget than Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yes. And like, they Agreed. crash a real train <laughs> in this movie.
1: They don't just crash a real train; they build that train because no one would give them a train to crash. <laughs>
0: That is what a $291 million budget should look like, folks. Uh, Of course, this is written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Who we've talked about also at length here. He's Cruz's biggest partner for the last 10 years or so that worked on Top Gun Maverick together last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also co-written with Eric Genderson.
1: Let's talk about our opening question. The goal of every Mission Impossible movie now seems to be to have the stunts go bigger and better than whatever came before. So I want to know, what do you all think were the big stunts of this movie? And did they go bigger and better than what came before? Let's just talk about it. There are some amazing stunts in this movie.
0: I mean, Elias, you already talked about the big moment in this movie. It's not even my favorite
1: stunt of the movie, but it's amazing.
0: (laughs) I mean, everything that takes place in
2: regards to that train sequence was so awesome. I loved it. But, I mean, even before that, there's some great fight scenes. The, the chase scene through... Uh, where are they? Rome? Rome? Where, where he and Haley Atwell are driving around. Yeah. yeah. That was so much fun. I like how they packed in like little jokes in there, too. That was refreshing. I, I enjoyed it.
1: Uh, the... Oh, man, when, when he's also in the alleyway fighting Palm Clemente. That fight scene, yeah, yeah, that
0: was great. And, and that's one of the strengths of this franchise, is that they not only build up to these gigantic moments or huge set pieces, mm-hmm. but they also mastered the small-scale stunt or whatever, action sequence, mm-hmm. where Ethan Hunt literally gets cornered into this tiny walkway that's only one person wide, and... Palm Clementi, who's the main villain's, you know, key henchwoman, walks in on one side, and this other guy walks in on the other side, <laughs> and he has to fight to get through one of the gates on either side of him against these two people in this tiny walkway, and it's it's an intense fight, yeah. and they totally pull it off with all of the gravitas that they also do with that motorcycle drive off a cliff into a wingsuit or whatever.
1: Someone um I was listening to the blank check podcast and they were like, um Tom Cruise driving his motorcycle off that mountain is him driving off the Paramount mountain declaring his like supremacy over <laughs> <his studio>? <laughs> <laughs> I mean he literally I'm
0: not... is floating above the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> there with the themes of this movie, I don't think they're entirely wrong and I look forward to unpacking that. I will say in terms of the overall scale of all of the set pieces, I don't know if they topped Fallout, because I do feel like Fallout had the, the the
1: helicopter chase.
0: Goodness gracious, the helicopter chase in that movie. The um the it's not a base jump where he jumps out of the plane. Yeah, I'm no, forgetting. No, I think it is a base jump. Well, oh, I, no, it's there's a, Halo, Halo jump. Halo jump. Where yeah. a Halo jump where again they CGI'd in the, the weather that he faces, but. The Tom bathroom Cruise, fight. Yeah, the that bathroom, bathroom, bathroom fight. Amazing. Right after the Halo jump, like Fallout is my still my favorite in the franchise. I will say that, despite not really okay. feeling my full thoughts in the film yet, I think it had some higher peaks yeah. than Dead I, Reckoning did. I th-
1: I think my favorite stunt out of all of them is the climb up the bridge. That's my favorite too. But yeah. I, I and, and here's the thing: it's it's not even like my favorite of the movies. But it's the fact that he's climbing up the tallest building in the entire freaking world mm-hmm. that I'm like, yeah. oh, damn. I mean, Ghost Protocol marks a
0: major shift in the franchise. It, it, it's the very key middle point now yeah. where Mission Impossible 1, 2, and 3 are different from each other. But they're a very, you know, they are what they are. But from Ghost Protocol on, it becomes so much more about these stunts. And, of course, the original Mission Impossible has the Langley heist where Tom Cruise is dangling on a wire and he's hovering Mm -hmm. right above the floor and that is one of the best scenes in the entire franchise. But they start going way bigger and trying to go way better with Ghost Protocol. Mm -hmm. And that Burj Khalifa sequence is iconic now for a reason.
1: We talked about like pre Barbenheimer post Barbenheimer it's definitely for this franchise it's pre Burj Khalifa post Burj Khalifa <laughs> yeah, because up totally. until that point we did not know that this is what the franchise is going to do well,
2: yeah everything before the Burj Khalifa was focused on like building tension and it was very hard boiled and like not so much like uh what s- stunts are going to make the movie great it was about like can they get through the plot without screwing up you know very carefully but then everything after Burj Khalifa was, like, adrenaline junkie footage. Like, it was just, like, crazy nonsense after crazy nonsense. Yeah. And it's yeah. like,
0: oh, my. Especially when you bring in Chris <laughs> McQuarrie, who feels like Tom Cruise's biggest enabler. Mm-hmm. Where Tom Cruise is, he's legitimately crazy. And he's like, I want to do this. And Chris McQuarrie's like, let's do it, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, tell me where to go. Tell me what kind of heavy machinery I
1: need. I'm kind of, like, my, my, my hope is that Chris is like, you're thinking too small. <laughs> <Yeah>. He might. <laughs> we need to talk about these set pieces for this movie. <laughs> it's it's hard to stay on track. I get it. There <laughs> there, there there are very notable set pieces. Um, let's even start with the beginning. There's there's the submarine. God, is that a set piece? That's a set piece, right?
0: I mean, I, I guess I would call it more of a cold open. Because notably, there is no Ethan Hunt in this yeah. scene. There's no Luther. There, There's no character that we've seen before. Mm-hmm. This is a Russian crew operating a submarine that is facing an unexpected threat that we, of course, mm-hmm. come to find out is not actually there. Mm-hmm. But they fire a torpedo at it that then turns around and is used against their own submarine, which then sets off the plot of the film.
1: I thought... Ethan Hunt was the one in the ghost submarine when I first saw that. I didn't know what was going on. I hey. thought at some point he was going to pull off that mask. mask yeah. <laughs> I thought some of somebody was wearing a mask.
2: I was so used to the previous movies, and I love that they didn't do that because it was like, oh,
0: good. Speaking of it's real Ethan pulling off masks, this is—I mean—how deep into spoilers do we want to go, Christian? Because this is a recent release. We want people to go see it. So, let's just say, we'll be spoiling some of the, you know, the things that happen. We won't reveal key plot details without a big spoiler warning, stop listening for you. So, be forewarned, we'll be talking about the actions and the character decisions and all that. But, in terms of talking about the ending, if we talk about it, there will be a big warning mm-hmm. for you listeners.
1: Okay. So, let's talk about then, what would be the next... Mi- it, it wouldn't be the, 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 the chase in... Abu Dhabi, would it, or would it be like the when they're in the desert?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's that quick scene where Ethan gets his mission, where he mm-hmm. has the the new IMF agent come with a quote unquote food delivery or whatever yeah. it is, but that's not really a set piece. That's like a character set piece. I uh-huh. mean,
1: there is the part where he goes and visits Kittridge. Yeah, in the, in the like that the... part, I
2: thought
0: was awesome. Right, I mean, that was vintage Mission Impossible, where we get Kittridge back. And he's at this intelligence briefing with a lot of familiar faces. Mm-hmm. Charles Parnell, who is just in Top Gun Maverick, is there. Rob Delaney is there. Mm-hmm. I um, I'm forgetting. Her Carrie first name.
1: Always is there.
0: Yes, Carrie Always is there. He he is one of the only characters in that scene who gets more than one scene, unfortunately. Uh, Indira Varma, who people may recognize from Game of Thrones, is there. Mark Gaddis, famous British actor and writer. So a lot of familiar faces in this
1: in this brief scene. When they throw when when he throws like the green smoke bombs. I was like, this is great. This is, this <laughs> yeah, is great. This is, this is, is where waterfall. we get our our
0: I, first mask off moment I, yeah, of I, the movie.
2: I love how they set up these little hints. And you kind of get an idea that something is about to happen. But you're not sure if this is going to be a good guy or a bad guy. And then he the, takes he the mask off. Amazing, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. There is like. I mean, in other movies, you'd probably be like, "Oh, oh my gosh, this this thing again." But in this one, it felt like authentic and like well deserved. Yeah,
1: I thought that that dude was actually part of the entity when I first saw it. He Me too.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- this this actor they've cast. I'm I'm not sure of his name, but this guy that they've cast to be the pre-mask removal person basically is so perfectly cast because he just has this creepy looking face no offense to this guy but he's got the perfect face and this blank look where you're just not sure if he's going to be a bad guy or maybe he's someone in disguise Mm -hmm. like he was yeah he gives a great tiny but great performance in this big movie how
1: do we feel about the entity
0: (laughs) i i like it I don't mean, like, I'm supportive of the inter- I,
2: I support our AI I mean, overlords. I like the fact that... Because every movie has to be a tougher villain, you know? It's got to get crazier and crazier and crazier, just like how the stunts get crazier and crazier. And, like, it's a, it's fantastic that they came up with this idea that a, an AI that's designed to outthink spies is the villain, like a computer... So it's like you know when you f- like play chess. You mm-hmm. ever play chess on the computer yeah. against like the AI and it's like an expert chess player. Yeah. And like no matter what, it's gonna kick your ass every single time. So it's like you know it's like futile, but you still keep trying to see if you can outsmart it. That's like like it feels like it's it literally feels impossible. You're fighting a computer that's out thinking every move you make.
1: I think it's a fantastic idea. I liked the idea. I. I didn't love the execution of it.
0: I think that's the most common criticism I've heard for Dead Reckoning. And I find myself more with Elias because I like what the entity represents thematically. Yeah. So, of course, the difficulty is if your enemy is an AI, it's hard to depict it on screen. Mm-hmm. Unless you have some sort of weird robot or android creature that is... An Ultron. Yeah, yeah. some kind of Ultron but instead, they have the entity in the background representing this existential threat, which, mm-hmm. like you said, Elias, it's taking the villains bigger and badder with each movie, where we just got off two movies with Solomon Lane, who is this former secret agent who's gone right. rogue and is pulling together this network of rogue agents to blow up the world or whatever. So, a rogue nation, if you a, might. A rogue nation-inducing <laughs> fallout, if you will. But now we have to somehow go bigger than that, and naturally it's a an AI who could take over the world. And I like what they do thematically with the character. And also, one person, we, new character, new actor, and character who we haven't mentioned yet is Isai Morales, who's playing Gabriel, who mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. shall we say, the archangel of the entity, yeah. or rather the emissary of the entity in the world. This guy, again, former secret agent, who is given over to the Entity's aims and acts as his now voice in yeah. the world. And I love how they set up Gabriel and the Entity, that, and the thematic implications that that has, not only for Ethan Hunt as a character, but Tom Cruise as an actor. We talked about a lot of the, the meta-textual elements of Top Gun Maverick's narrative, and I think some of those ideas are present here,
2: too. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Because in, in Top Gun Maverick, they're they're saying... I mean, uh, your style of fighting is outdated, right? The human element in in fighter pilot training is outdated. It's got to be computers from now on. But in Top Gun: Maverick, they prove pretty much that the human element is necessary. You have to make human mistakes to solve the, you know, to accomplish your mission. Same thing goes for this with Dead Reckoning, where an AI could solve all these problems, but you need a human element. In order to like save us from full on destruction or failure or whatever you think <laughs> happens with AI
1: control. I think my uh, and and I, I I I I do really really like this movie. I, re- I it's one of the it's one of the year's best. I think simply because the stunts here are are unlike anything else that you're probably going to see in movies this year. Um, I wasn't always sure what they were fighting, and I don't think the best job was made at explaining what the key opened or or necessarily like how the entity was operating and what it wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's 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 my only thing. Um because like to me right now the entity is someone who loves to throw incredible parties. <laughs> <laughs> You're referring to the <laughs> party that happens in the middle of this movie. Wait, I where it's got like squiggly thing the entire time it's like the Entity threw this part in and we're like alright Entity loves to like get down
0: yeah Christopher McQuarrie is doing his 95th canted angle of the movie looking at Isai Morales who's got crazy eyes on and he's talking about how the Entity is not only listening in or whatever what that means is the Entity had to
2: hire those dancers that they (laughs) show like in some
0: way it had something to do with the hiring of those dancers which is like what do you What's think, the reason for that? Do you think if, if somebody who worked for the party planning company had, had a question about how to properly plan the event that like Gabriel had to get on the phone and he was like typing the entity on, on like a computer? <laughs> they say they cannot bring 30 dancers. They can only do 25. What do I say? And then he had to wait for the entity to get back. I'm just trying to think about how that Probably. practically
1: happened. How, how, does, okay. how, does, how does Gabriel get his orders? Does he like... Oh, that's a good question. Actually, I have something on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we see that scene on the train Yeah. Um, where he is in a box, right? Yeah. And the box opens up and he's got this mask on and yeah. it's, like, humming and there's tubes coming out of it. I think when he puts that on, he's looking into this computer space, like a, a virtual reality
1: machine. Right, like in the Matrix. Yes, exactly. Okay. Like, he
2: can see... Maybe he's being... Maybe it'll go into greater detail in Part 2, but, like... I'm imagining like it's giving him orders through that and he's seeing potential outcomes based on certain decisions he can make. But what I found more interesting from that is, first of all, he's an unstoppable force. Gabriel is an unstoppable force and he's following his master, the entity, right? Right. He shows up where he needs to be and he already knows what's going to happen. So he knows what actions he has to take. So he seems like almost otherworldly. He shows up at that uh, place in Italy And he just walks in the room and the guy's like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Interpol. And then he believes him and then he starts telling... This uh, officer like things about his family. Oh, your mistress, blah blah blah. The yeah, he's asked like, to
3: see some
1: ID. Gabriel doesn't <laughs> respond. Yeah,
0: because he's he's like, I don't need to show you ID. Show me this. And he's like, well, Your well, wife Gabriella wouldn't appreciate if your mistress Donatella. Exactly. Like, he's yeah, just like he's just, like, just, he's just like, like, rattling off information. It's Donatella,
1: like, the name of his mistress. No, it sounds just, like you took Donatello from <laughs> Tara. <the> inter- <laughs>
0: that's Donatello,
1: Christian. Well, like, I
0: mean, I saw this movie over two weeks ago, so it's like the details are a little bit fuzzy. He's like. Um, he's like, okay, so you're not
2: Interpol, right? And he's like, no, but I can if I want to be. <laughs> so there's that. Then he's in this coffin on the train, literally comes out of what something that looks like a coffin, right?
0: So I'm thinking like, is, is there some like vampire metaphor going on with Gabriel? I mean, I, just, I, I didn't catch that, because I thought that was literally just a way to get him on the train surreptitiously. Mm-hmm. Like, that was just a breathing apparatus. Mm-hmm. And I just assume, in the ways that the entity deploys itself it's, it's in the movie, we see it hacking computers. We see it use a voice, which, that's mm-hmm. all the rage mm-hmm. right now. Like, AI, people are doing AI covers of songs. Like, yeah. what if Taylor Swift sang this song? Or... What I, if this actor delivered this monologue? You know, and let, so
1: let me let me say this without yeah. trying to open up a can of worms. Um, there are some trailer houses because the actors are on strike, and they need a couple of voices in order to finish trailers. We're using AI to finish those voices for the trailers. Oh
0: my goodness! Not great. No, <laughs> not a fun thing. To we do. see <laughs> notably in
1: this movie, we see this
0: evil artificial intelligence program with a mind of its own deploy that tactic against our heroes where it impersonates mm-hmm. the voice of yeah. one of the the hero well, characters to delude ethan that's like that's what i'm thinking also is
2: because like I, maybe it's because i'm such a fan of like vampire stories and dracula and stuff yeah like, you're a big twilight guy i'm a huge Twilight guy. <laughs> like, vampires and like they're romanticized obviously all the time but the original version of a vampire is like the most evil thing that exists you know, it, it it's like an unstoppable force. It get it stops like nothing stops it from getting what it wants, and it can impersonate people's voices. Vampires hide in coffins. They're they can present themselves in different ways. You know, and they just don't stop. So like, it's funny because you can't see them in mirrors, and you can't. That's another, see. another. That's another example. Yes. See, it's all coming together. That part when it's like, but what is it? What does Luther say? He's like, oh. AI don't have reflections or something like that. And I'm like, okay.
0: Well we're we're talking about the moment where we see that Gabriel is not appearing on security camera footage. Yes. Yeah. Because the AI is erasing his like image. Actively erasing <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. Somehow. So once again, a kind of a vampire connection.
1: There. Kind of, yeah. And
2: I think I I I feel like it's on purpose. I feel like it is relating to vampire iconography, at least. Yeah, 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 in some yeah. way. No. Because vampires are Evil, unstoppable creatures and this entity supposedly
1: is the same thing. Uh, so the reason why I asked how, how does like he Gabriel get his orders is because when when we were in the government agent scene and they talked about IMF, the impossible mission for us, and 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 carrie elway says how do you how do you tell them what to do and they're like we kind of just leave word (laughs) in my mind it's like do you throw like a like a message in a bottle into the ocean (laughs) (laughs) wait
0: to the ai or to the imf
1: the same. Okay, yeah. honestly just... what's,
0: what's funny about the IMF is, of course, they have all these messages like, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is yeah. this. And then the, the message self destructs in 54321. And so Elways is like, so you just have this mysterious guy out there who may or may not accept these missions that you give him. And Kitridge is like, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he always comes through. <laughs> but, but that didn't used to be the case. Like, in Mission Impossible. One, two, three, and four. They were like a group of even five. We're like they like had a, a secretary. Like a yes. division of the yeah. CIA or yeah. something. Yeah, Alec
0: Alec Baldwin was the director of the IMF in in uh, Rogue Nation and Fallout. And we do see him at hearings where he's defending the IMF yeah. to, to the government. So maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something we're forgetting. Maybe that's some franchise continuity problems. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's very minor. I didn't really pick up on it while watching it.
1: Anyway, um what else? Okay, so, so Christian, what else? oh uh, well, there's a lot. I mean I, I mean I'm thinking of
0: ma- Atwell gets introduced to
1: this, this movie. That's what I'm talking about, Christian. Thank you. So Haley Atwell is like a pickpocket who is beaten professional uh, thief. Come who, on. Who's hired and we learn this later on spoiler alert I guess? Yeah. Yeah. She sure. She's hired by Vanessa Kirby's character who also comes back. But Ailey Atwell is there to 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 take part of the key, kind of, and get close to Ethan Hunt. So I'm what sure. we f- what we find out is
0: that she is hired to bring part of the key to Alana, who is Vanessa Kirby's character, this arms dealer who's arranging this meeting to the sell way, the key to every,
1: everyone. Look. We'll give like massive spoiler alerts, but like we're basically telling you the entire plot of this movie. I just want you all to know the spoiler alert that we gave earlier was wrong. My
0: my sincere apologies. But she gets hired to steal the key and bring it so that this deal that the white widow, Alana, has set up.
1: But Mr. Kirby's so attractive in
0: this movie, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so much has been made of not only the great stunts of this movie but just how beautiful the people in it specifically the women of course but i mean tom cruise still very handsome at this at this state at and his
1: life. all four women are in love with him <laughs> Well, it's insinuated <laughs> that he has sex with Vanessa Kirby. It's that's, insinuated that is more than insinuated. <laughs> it's insinuated he has sex with Elsa, so Rebecca Ferguson's character, and then Haley Atwell and him have a ton of chemistry. It's insinuated that something's going to go on with them, hmm. and then Palm Club Antif is insinuated to have a crush on him by the end of this movie.
0: I did not get that. I, I at didn't all. know the crush part because yeah, she, I I mean, she has like eight lines and more. Like she has most more... of those are in French. Yeah, she has more <laughs> grunts than lines bleeding out by the end of the movie <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah i mean i think the the four women of this movie all give really great performances absolutely and they get to do very different things which is fun where a lot yeah, of times big yeah. action movies centered around a male hero they, they either sideline female characters or they're forced to play stereotypes or whatever but in dead reckoning part one we have four distinct characters doing different things Haley Mm -hmm. Atwell's character, Grace, is a professional thief who gets to bring some humor and some levity Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. impossible mission going on as she gets brought into the fold. Vanessa Kirby, playing the White Widow slash Alana, gets to bring the same sort of flirty chemistry that she has with Ethan Hunt, but into this arms-dealing character who's trying to make, make money. But then there's this great scene where she is playing Haley Atwell playing her as uh, there's a mask situation going on. Another spoiler alert after the fact for you there. But then we have Rebecca Ferguson playing Elsa. Again, still this equally competent agent next to Ethan. They're going on missions together. And finally, Palm Clemente, who gives one of my favorite performances in the whole movie just as this...
1: It's pretty incredible. Ferocious,
0: ruthless henchwoman Mm -hmm. who probably has the most kills of anybody in the movie. She's just wasting people left and right and doing it like... Violently, brutally. So, it's just it's so like a, exciting. Yeah,
1: like a killer court jester.
0: Like, a, and it literally dressed up to be a court jester in this part that the entity is throwing in Rome, where the arms deal is taking place. So, again, they are participating in the stunts. They're motivating the plot. They're bringing like uh, just just charisma to the proceedings here because they're all great actresses and they're all doing yeah. something different. It's exciting.
2: Well, like when the when the White Widow. Or right, when Haley Atwell, uh, when Grace is pretending to be the White Widow, that whole sequence is phenomenal acting. But, but because, Kirby, yeah, because yeah, she's pretending to be another person, pretending to be her character, which is like layers that you have <laughs> to go through. That's amazing. Very impressive. You've
1: changed, and you never
2: will.
0: Yes, exactly. exactly. I, I also love that. For whatever reason, they didn't think to give her contact. contacts, contacts. contacts. Yeah. because Vanessa Kirby has blue eyes that could pierce your soul and yeah. Haley Atwell has brown eyes. eyes that you could get lost in.
2: <laughs> and, well, I love how many different yeah. like classic, almost cheesy lines there are or like secret, like moments where she's just like walks up and Kittredge is just like, you're not, you're not Alana. And she's just like, uh... It's, like, perfect that he's just like, the Alana I knew was about this tall, and yeah. blah, blah,
0: blah. And it's just like, oh, my gosh, of course. I mean, speaking of the whole continuity of this franchise, Alana is the daughter of a character from the first Mission mm-hmm. Impossible movie, who is this other arms dealer played by Vanessa Redgrave. So I, I, Also
1: shows up on a train at the end of that movie. <laughs> she, indeed, she does. I had to have people tell me that, because, like, like, remember when, when um, the love interest in Top Gun Maverick, Jennifer... Connelly. Yes. Yeah. Um, w- w- when she's like the daughter of the uh, whatever <laughs> she's admiral. the daughter of admiral, an admiral,
0: admiral who's mentioned in one Once line I... <laughs> of Top Gun and they're like, bring
1: her back for the sequel. Yeah. I I I had to have someone explain that to me. I don't think to things. Yeah. I I anyway, um, okay. Grace is introduced in this airport chase scene, mm-hmm. which also includes a nuclear bomb for some reason. <laughs> There's a going on in this movie
0: but I mean the airport sequence to me although it features the least amount of bombastic action when compared to the other sequences in the movie was one of my favorite parts of the of the film just because it so was ridiculously fun. enjoyable built on these actors and their chemistry together plus you have you have the different things happening as Luther and Benji who's Simon Pegg's character they're Sort of tracking Ethan and then Benji has to go defuse his bomb that Christian just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, someone else we haven't mentioned yet, who is utterly delightful and is brought into this movie franchise finally, Shea Wiggum, playing this yeah. like CIA or FBI agent who's like trying to track down Ethan Hunt. Because of course Ethan is he's on some government list once again. Mm-hmm. So Shea Wiggum and Greg Tarzan Davis, who is from Top Gun Maverick, they're this duo trying to chase him down. They're in the airport yeah. trying to find him. And Gabriel is introduced as well. There, there's just so many things happening in this airport scene, but the momentum is almost flawless as yeah. we go from moment to moment in this scene. We introduce Grace, we meet Gabriel, like all these fantastic things are happening, and the most action we get is crews running, yeah, <laughs> with arms pumping, <laughs> and it's it's just proof that the they've really nailed the balance between big bombastic action and small, more character-driven moments within the movies
1: we need to talk about rome and how grace and ethan get handcuffed together into a yellow fiat (laughs) and drive that fiat around rome
2: (laughs) i i I love how many times that grace outsmarts ethan hunt in little ways and like a majority of the movie is just ethan running after
0: grace and being like grace grace (laughs) like over and over I loved it oh man that i mean the scene you're talking about christian there, there's so many bits of comedy mixed in too and i think the mission impossible as a uh, franchise it's not really known for its comedy it's mm-hmm. not like they're dour and serious movies but they really start mixing it in here with the grace character and we do see the moment where cruz is walking up to these awesome italian cars and he clicks the button for the car benji has gotten him and it's this dinky little fiat which haha that's funny But also we start to see, we get like the visual comedy. Like at one point the car gets sent spinning, it's rolling and rolling and we're like, oh no, Ethan and Grace, are they going to suffer serious concussions? Probably not. And once the car stops rolling, we see that they've switched seats (laughs) somehow, (laughs) which is just like Looney Tunes-esque comedy. Yes,
1: it's great. The second time I watched it, I saw the moment where they flipped inside of the car Mm -hmm. and I I don't know, I guess like my brain was able to follow the logic, that they weren't (laughs) just like trying to be clever to actually show the foot yes in, they do yeah. I just, yeah
2: the first time i saw it i didn't notice that the second time i saw it i followed their positions in yeah. the car i was as it was
0: rolling and it makes sense and they keep just driving in circles and it's wonderful <laughs> i mean there's even a moment where you know movies like this get rightfully criticized sometimes because you have these normal people thrust into abnormal situations uh-huh. but then you wonder how how this random man or woman knows how to accurately like properly handle an assault rifle and take out henchmen or whatever but in this movie we have grace being absolutely terrible at stunt driving yeah. or are like driving the getaway car and she complains about it and needs even to switch with her which is like again a bit of comedy but also just a great like keeping it real moment where of course yeah. this professional thief may not be the best driver like she's more focused on working people face to face and in close not combat but like in close upfront situations sleight of hand stealing things out of pockets etc of yeah, course she wouldn't scene. yeah she probably is used to working with getaway drivers not being one herself mm-hmm. and so she needs ethan hunt the perfect man to <laughs> to get away drive them away from all of the people chasing them in rome i'm
1: trying to remember what i was thinking oh there there are a couple of sword fight scenes
0: rebecca ferguson yeah. fighting with a sword can we get a whole movie about that please
1: i had i was sitting next to friends whose eyes rolled every time the sword was slashed in this movie and i go guys is it realistic? Absolutely not. But come <laughs> on, you—we want a sword fight against a dagger. We don't want them to shoot at each other. Come on. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. Way more fun it.
2: with blades. Yeah. In real life, definitely. Gabriel would have done an Indiana Jones and just pulled out a gun and
1: shot <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson as soon as he saw her. Okay, yeah. Rebecca Ferguson and Ethan and Donkers and, and definitely had sex.
0: I saw a poll on Twitter today. <laughs> <laughs> as as, as every great as every great sentence starts and the person asking the question said how many times have Ethan Hunt and Ilsa Faust had sex and it was something like many times a few times or never hmm. which do you think was winning the poll
1: never many times
0: never had 55% with oh. the other options combining to make up the other 45% that's incredible. And that is what I, I agree. That is interesting. And I think a lot of people who are answering this poll saying never identified this quality of almost mutual respect for Ethan and Ilsa. Mm-hmm. One that doesn't manifest in romantic affection, but sh- like sheerly platonic affection, where they will lay down their lives for each other, but I, not out of no, romantic no. love.
1: I, I believe that in the past too. I don't believe that in this movie. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> well, do not believe that in this movie. There is
0: certainly a moment in Rome before all of the drama from the arms deal and everything that happens after it. Where they're sort of cuddling up to each other. Yeah. And you can't tell. Is this just like familial or has something happened that we didn't see? It's yeah, it's I well, what I enjoy is that they they don't
2: answer it. Yeah. Like, so you could watch it like how Christians watched it and <sighs> thought like, yes, these two Christian characters. Christian has
1: perverted my <laughs> perverted Christian. These characters
2: have definitely been romantically involved with each other right that's fine
0: (laughs) but then when i watched it i didn't think that i thought they were they were just good friends you know really good friends (laughs) and just good friends in the way that two like (laughs) two men who were in their 40s but have been living in the same apartment for 20 years they're really good friends exactly (laughs) yes yes. i know i know what you mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man okay i don't what, what else the train i guess we were talking about the train they're on the train.
0: Literally on the Orient Express. Okay, which okay. And not like, it's not the same Orient Express from the Agatha Christie story that I, I did fact check that. But they go onto to the Orient Express where the White Widow is going to make this deal to sell the key. And of course, everybody's trying to converge on it. And it ends... With Tom Cruise once again pulling off insane stunts with the train okay. b- blowing up and everybody
1: almost dying, <laughs> and Tom Cruise rides the done. motorcycle off the Paramount Mountain, <laughs>
0: off the Paramount Mountain, <laughs> yes.
1: And, and and then like 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 starts to 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 parachute down, and Vanessa Kirby, slash Haley Atwell, Vanessa Kirby's like had her own moment and is then being chased down because she has the key and in the moment where she's almost being pinned down Tom Cruise just just smashes through the window <laughs> basically <laughs> incapacitating the guy who's chasing her and I go this is the best way they could have gone yeah mm-hmm. this is the absolute best thing they could have done with again
0: this. mentioning the comedic moments of this movie like like you pointed out earlier Alice there's a moment where Gabriel absolutely should have shot Ilsa, but sword fights her to you know instead and we have this moment where grace is being held at gunpoint and the guy who's supposed to kill her is slowly reaching for the key and then his boss is like all right why don't you take her out and they're moving as (laughs) slowly as you possibly can so that you can get to this moment where hunt comes crashing into the train again looney tune style like interrupting mid-sentence kicking this guy out of the train And it's one of those moments where in a franchise that is so built on trying to be as committed to realism as possible, that Tom Cruise is literally doing these death defying stunts himself. Mm -hmm. It felt a little unreal to have him crash in at that perfect moment, but it still worked because of, again, this, these lighthearted moments that had been popping up in the movie and you needed Ethan back in the action and he had been off the train for about 30 minutes at this point. So we had to get him on.
1: What else do we need to talk about? We have talked about this whole movie, just about every aspect of the plot. Uh,
0: have we talked about how I think I was genetic? Like I think Haley Atwell was manufactured in a lab to be to make me attracted to her in
1: this movie, <laughs> possibly. Cool. We're gonna put that aside. We could talk about <laughs> it, Christian. <laughs> we could unpack that. Where would this
0: fit into your rankings? I think that is a, a good question to sort of wrap up our discussion on because i've seen some people put this in the middle i've seen some people put it at the very top of their lists seen a few negative reviews too but mm-hmm. for me it's actually right after fallout and i think in what i was saying about fallout is that is to me almost a perfect action movie where it's hitting all of these peaks and has all of these fantastic action set pieces all these moments that are still with me even though i haven't seen that movie in a couple of years i've seen it twice of course but I haven't seen it in a while but i can still recall these little moments from that movie like henry cavill reloading his arms in the bathroom fight mm-hmm. or ethan driving around the arc de triomphe in, in paris uh, to me fallout is just superior in, in small ways but dead reckoning is continuing in this same style of movie making this bigger is better tom cruise is doing all this crazy stuff mm-hmm. and I, again, really loved this movie. And, and I love the thematic implications of the villain, too, which I want to talk about before we truly end. But, Elias, where does it rank on your personal list? Yeah,
2: I'd, I'd say, like, just below Fallout as well, I think. Like, it it in some aspects, I like it just as much as Fallout because it feels like an extension of... Like, when I finish, whenever I watch Fallout and it ends, I'm like, man, I want more and like that's what Dead Reckoning is is it's just more of that energy that high energy but as a standalone movie I think Fallout is better because it's all wrapped up nice and neat it's one movie and yeah. I can't help but uh, like not I don't want to say dislike but like the fact that it's the first half of a story just takes away a little bit that I have to put it below Fallout Christian?
0: fourth fourth definitive fourth definitive fourth so that's Mission Impossible mm-hmm. Fallout and my 3 Mission Impossible 3 then Dead Reckoning
1: okay. yeah mainly because we've spent a lot of time talking about everything but we don't really we didn't I, I, we touched on him but Gabriel I don't think is the best villain nor are the fight scenes with Gabriel the most memorable to me mm-hmm. except for the one in which like a spoiler alert
0: We had talked around that the whole time. You didn't need to mention
1: that. <laughs> I gave it spoiler. You gave it spoiler. I gave it spoiler.
0: So here's where I want to make my, my thematic defense of Gabriel and the entity.
1: You can defend the entity. I don't think you can defend Gabriel.
0: So here's where I'm going to try. Okay. Ethan Hunt uh-huh. is now facing an existential threat, as we talked about earlier. It's not something tangible it is an artificial intelligence that, for reasons unknown but reasons nonetheless, wants to essentially take over the world. And wants to be used by all these world governments to take over the world. <laughs> like It's this evil AI. And we're dealing with the threat of evil AI right now. Although all it's capable of is writing really bad emails and generating really <laughs> terrible images of six-fingered people. But even so, we have Ethan Hunt really Tom Cruise facing off against this existential threat. We're in the same way that Top Gun Maverick was like Tom Cruise saving the movies and like saving his old way of making movies. Mm-hmm. Now we have him continuing down that road here in Dead Reckoning. And at one point in the movie, Ethan Hunt, looking at Gabriel, I think, literally says that he wants to kill his God. <laughs> like we have Ethan on, on a quest to kill God, which seems like a quest only ethan hunt could make in terms of hollywood stars and i i love the just absolutely absurd grandiosity of that and thinking about this existential evil malevolent program that everybody else wants to try to use but ethan hunt wants to kill (laughs) just it it sets my heart a tingle and i think gabriel as this not chaotic, very controlled and mysterious archangel of the entity was compelling to me. And, and yes, he's not the best villain we've gotten in a mission impossible movie, but I think the entity and Gabriel make a great team okay. in part two, depending on how they take the story in part two, it could be one of those situations where it retroactively affects this movie Or if they don't stick the landing, it I'm sort of putting stock in that the story will end in a good place and it could make me feel worse about this movie upon reflection.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. But I, I love the idea of Ethan Hunt literally trying to kill God. And the spiritual implications of that are exciting to me. So that is why I feel more positively about the entity in Gabriel. Even though I understand that there's some very valid critiques to be made.
1: A friend of mine says that um, he found out there's a tank being built in England for the next Mission Impossible movie. There's like
0: definitely- a Like a...
1: Like a big
0: tank. Like one that shoots or one that you swim in? Like one that has water. Ah. They, they James Cameron's not sharing his
1: big tank? <laughs> or some submarine? No, teams. the Titanic tank I heard is being destroyed. Ah, but what about the Avatar tank?
0: I mean, they're probably busy shooting Avatar movies. Well, but... av-
1: Avatar is in New Zealand, yeah. the new
0: ones. So I don't know what kind of tank they use But yeah, they're
1: building a There's big also, tank. also like
2: those random clips that showed up of them on biplanes. Do you guys remember that? no. Is that just like a Mandela Wait. effect memory I no, have? No, no, no.
0: Like where Tom <laughs> Cruise was doing his like, see you at the movies thing, where he was like yeah. literally standing on a plane. Yes. No, I remember this, but I thought that was more, maybe that is going to be used in part two. I thought that was for sure going to be
2: in Mission Impossible, and it wasn't. That, that wasn't used yeah. in it yeah. in this one, yeah, so I guess. So I'm hoping there's some good
0: flight scenes in the <laughs> Tom... part two, right? <laughs> Ethan Hunt and Gabriel, sword fight, standing on a biplane, be being insane. flown by Benji or something. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't know. What what I like about this villain, the entity, I already kind of touched on it earlier, the fact that it's an AI built to outsmart Ethan Hunt. But what I I r- remove the entity from that equation. Let's focus on Gabriel. The reason why I like Gabriel as a villain is because to me he's the most like annoying, pretentious villain that I've seen. Like other villains have been great. Uh Philip Seymour Hoffman and In the third, I think it's part three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And he's amazing. That's the that's phenomenal. Pretty much like the the thing that I like the most about part three. Other than that, I kind of don't remember much of it. Anyway, Gabriel is just like this dude that's just like the algorithms the best way to think, and I'm gonna follow its orders no matter what it tells me to do. And I'm just like, like he, it feels like he's truly abandoning being a human being. And that's, like, the biggest disservice you can do while being a villain. Yes. Which is why I like him so much. Because he's actively, like, ceasing to be a human being and to think for himself. Which, I'm like, that's...
0: I hate those kinds of people. So... (laughs) Yes. and Perfect. And Ethan Hunt is the polar opposite of this. Yeah. He has a, a Dominic Toretto level of obsession with his own quote unquote family. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like Dom Toretto in the Fast and Furious movies is doing stupid stuff all the time to save his family. And Ethan Hunt does the same thing in these movies to develop the little growing family he's got mm-hmm. going on. He is radically committed to humanity, yes. to humans' fallibility, to human ingenuity and creativity. And against the cold, unthinking, pure rationality, mathematic nature of artificial intelligence yeah. and people like Gabriel who are committed to it. Mm-hmm. Which, again, when you think about the metatextualness of the narrative, it's very similar to what Pete Mitchell was doing in Gun Maverick, yeah. where he is radically committed to human pilots, human creativity, human ingenuity, in the face of machine-operated, AI-controlled options for warfare you know now now we have that same mindset transplanted into ethan hunt yeah and i just i love this little moment of tom cruise's career <laughs> it's it's fun to think about not just that the movies are fun to watch but there's also that little behind the scenes to think about too
1: i wish you had been more inhuman then I, I i don't know what i mean by that i don't necessarily think you need needed to be like a like a like a tom hardy as bane kind of a thing Mm-hmm. but maybe i i don't know let, it, it feels like he was like trying to chew up some of the dialogue that he had mm. and i go I don't know if someone this committed to the entity would be doing that that but but it, it's like a minor quibble with set pieces that i think are incredibly fantastic all right um last couple of things hey. well actually should we mention have we all finished our beer i'm finished i have room. Okay, cool. Did we like it? It's a hazy hazy double IPA. I won't won't share what the brand is unless we enjoyed it. It Yeah, Yeah, we're looking for sponsorships here. I I enjoyed it. It
2: was a nice fruity taste. I enjoyed
3: it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's good. So this is Offshoot Beer Retreat. So you are going to mention the... (laughs) I said I wasn't going to share it unless we enjoyed it. Okay, okay, okay. okay. (laughs) Like, if we're like, nah, this was a pile of piss that I just put (laughs) in my mouth. And I'm like, well, that's mean if I say what the brand was. All right. (laughs) I want to talk about pairings, then. What is the ideal situation that you would recommend someone watch this movie in? Outside of, like, at a movie theater. We get it. Cinema experience. Lovely. And also, I introduced this new topic. In terms of pairings, what would be a great double feature with this movie? And you cannot say Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2.
0: The natural pairing, when it eventually comes out.
1: When it eventually comes
0: out. (laughs) I think... Like I've been talking about a lot already, I think Top Gun Maverick is a pretty natural pairing with this movie. Mm -hmm. Not only Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise at it again, but with the deep subtextual elements of these narratives that we've been talking about, which is sort of Tom Cruise versus cold inhumanity Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, in his movies. But also, of course, the ridiculous stunts that they love to pull off, the radical commitment to Cruise pulling it off, and asking the other actors he works with to pull it off. Uh, Notably, one of the very first things you see during the opening credits of Dead Reckoning is a Tom Cruise production, which just, it gave me shivers. So, you know, he works in these movies as a producer, too, and that's why I think those two are so naturally paired together. I know that's a little bit lame, because I've been talking about them a lot already, so if you guys have other ideas of things to pair this movie with, I'd love to hear it.
2: I would... I would... I'm going to stick with my vampire metaphor, and I'm going to say, watch it double featured with Interview with the Vampire, because because then you get another Tom Cruise movie, and it's about an unstoppable cold creature that just will not stop until it gets what it wants, you know? Like, that's what a vampire is, and I think that fits very well with the entity. You know, like you could say the same thing about mm-hmm. the
0: interview. One of one of Cruise's uh, <laughs> most interesting performances for sure. Definitely. Have you seen Interview with the Vampire, Christian? No, I haven't. You no. gotta get on that. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's, it's great. It's a good movie. <laughs> it is a movie where 12-year-old Kirsten Dunst out-acts 90s Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, <laughs> but also 90s Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt are like super-duper gay for each other, oh, even yeah. though they don't technically kiss. Uh, <laughs> which, like, it's so obviously gay. They did a TV show of, of the same, you know, it's from the book that they're the adapting, so not yeah, like the movie, yeah. but they make it explicitly gay in the TV show, from um, from what I heard, so good yeah, to know. Cruise and Pit. Again, vampires often depicted as very sexual and very seductive, in addition to their more monstrous characteristics. I and... never
1: got that from Twilight. <laughs> that, I guess,
0: makes sense, but yeah, they're they're playing that up, an interview with the vampire. Um,
1: I I'm gonna go with I'm gonna I'm gonna go slightly differently. It's 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 not a Tom Cruise movie. I'm gonna go with Snowpiercer. What? Oh <laughs> Snow I got an
2: explanation for this.
1: The train? Yes.
2: Movie? The Willy Wonka prequel? What <laughs> sorry, I mean sequel. How is Snowpiercer, Willy Wonka? What are people. you? What
1: are you talking? What movie do you think I'm
2: talking about? Okay, if you rewatch it and you think that the world has ended, but the only person who was able to survive was Willy Wonka, <laughs> it makes sense.
0: Willy Wonka is whatever the, <laughs> the engineer. Of the yes, because the
2: train has the initials like WW. I'm pretty sure, or maybe it's just one W. Willy Wonka's well, train.
0: isn't Ed Harris is in that, and he's like Wilbert or whatever, yes. right? Who's the, the he's guy who's the descendant of Wonka. <laughs> oh
1: it's a movie about a train that uses a lot of set pieces with a train. I thought it was a good double feature idea. <laughs> you're just thinking oh, train. Oh, so you're just combining it with train movies.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Just, I didn't try to give it too much thought that Willy Wonka's <laughs> the
0: I mean, snowpiercer has got all this about, like, Class consciousness about the, the proletariat revolting fine, against the oppressive fine. bourgeoisie. This would be a
1: great double feature with Inception. Chris Evans doing
0: cannibalism. Spoiler alert for that movie. Good. Is Inception better? Inception
1: better? It's there is Inception a train. A well, well, why, why, why are they're... you
0: pairing it with Inception? Talk to me.
1: A lot of set pieces. It's There's action. A... There's very little thought needed to Christian, enjoy the movie. There are some set pieces in There's... The Flash. Should we pair this with The Flash? There's <laughs> very little thought needed to enjoy the movie. There's a
0: train. <laughs> The simplest answer is in Inception, there is also a train. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. In the That's same you're, way. You were dicks. <laughs> the, the metatextualness of Inception is that Christopher Nolan thinks he's Cobb, and so he casts Leonardo DiCaprio to play Cobb, yes. the director of the Inception team. So much fun stuff we could get into with. With with that movie, guys,
1: this has been our podcast. This has been the end of it, and, and we, is... are, you, and you, we, and you are going to end this now.
0: Elias getting to witness Christian shutting me down in real time for the very first time under our new branding of Cinema on Tap. That is,
1: of course, Mission Impossible. We started to get into a diatribe of the sexiness of vampires and also of Willy Wonka.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and also of the, the women of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. But that was,
1: on, that was on brand.
0: Still in theaters. And you should go <laughs> check it out, especially if you've already punched your Barbenheimer ticket. Don't miss out on this one in theaters. The action sequences are meant to be seen on a giant screen. Tom Cruise jumping off the Paramount Mountain is meant to be seen on a giant screen. So check it out before it leaves theaters and ends up on a streaming service later this year. Elias, yes. thank you for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me. Is there anything that you do outside of, obviously, guest appearing on podcasts uh-huh. that you'd like to mention to the listeners, where people can find you or your work or anything else related to your creative endeavors? Yeah, thanks for that. I uh,
3: You
2: can follow me on Instagram. I have an art account. I, I don't know if you'll list it or should I say it? Just say it. We'll Eli- list it Elias Hoxie Art on Instagram. You can follow me there. I do freelance work for logo design. I just designed this logo for this podcast here and we thank you for it <laughs> of course it was a, my pleasure so yeah that's pretty much it i'm an artist so hit me up
0: and christian coming I mean, up next week you've already mentioned it's oppenheimer you mentioned we have a guest potentially coming next week do you want to mention who that is yet or are you waiting to confirm with them
1: he said he's down i'm trying to see if we can get him in person but i'm pretty sure he's locked in Okay. So our guest has already appeared before, and it is going to be Anthony Fins, who just recently had a movie that premiered at a festival at a horror night a couple of days ago. And therefore, he'll also be sharing stuff about that movie and what that premiere looked like.
0: Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Anthony, if you remember him, was on our Empire Strikes Back episode as we were... Covering the original Star Wars trilogy back in May of this very year. So stay tuned for next week as we dig into the Hymer portion of Barbenheimer and, and our new rotation for the month of big July releases continues. Until then, that is our show. There are a few other things you can do to support this new show. So we're going to be getting some new social media up and running. So stay tuned for that. Look for us on Twitter and potentially elsewhere, but for now, Twitter. You can also, of course, still send us an email. We do have a new email with the new name of the show, and Christian, that is... Cinema on top podcast at gmail.com. That's right. So very similar to the previous email. Name of the show, podcast, at gmail.com We would love your feedback, especially as we're talking about some of the biggest movies of recent memory. We want to know your Barbie thoughts. We want to know your Oppenheimer thoughts. And although we've just talked about it, we want to know your Mission Impossible thoughts too. If there's a moment in the movie that we missed discussing, we'd love to know your favorite part in that movie. So send us your thoughts to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. Plus follow me on Twitter and Christian on Instagram. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks
1: listening along at home? Did you know that I am supposed to, in three hours, watch Oppenheimer? You're going
0: to see Oppenheimer at midnight. I might cancel <laughs> the ticket. <laughs> it's a, uh, a three-hour movie that is putting up 12 a.m. showtimes because people are just so committed to going to see it, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. I love movies, guys. Very cool. Movies are great. Thanks, Elias, for being here. I'm already looking Thanks. forward to having you back. And until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap.